Hello and welcome to Soul Survivor Main Meeting Talks from April Conference 2019. We hope you enjoy. Of Daniel. So you can have that ready, but um, and we'll read it very shortly. Um, so you can, yeah, we want you, whether it's electronic or your paper, um, we want you to be able to find Daniel, be able to read it, and, and we'll spend even a little bit more time. We're going to actually read through the whole chapter, but we're going to stop and pause, similar to yesterday. But I, I wanted to start, um, I, I mean, it's my absolute joy and privilege um, just to be able to, to share with you all uh, and to be invited to, to be able to speak and, and let God's Word speak and, and share part of my story and Emma's story and our family. Uh, so I'm just, just so thankful uh, and just excited for, for this whole week. But I guess I wanted to begin this, this theme of Shaped by Jesus for me, just was just so exciting because my journey with Soul Survivor, as I mentioned yesterday, started in 2010, so almost 10 years ago. And in many ways, my heart and my life has been shaped by Jesus at Soul Survivor and through Soul Survivor because everything Soul Survivor does uh, is for the name and the work and the love of, of Jesus. So to begin with, just to give you a, a snippet for, for many of you who would have no idea who I, who I am, I wanted to share through the lens of Soul Survivor that, as I said yesterday, Emma dragged me in 2010 to this white tent in Castle Hill. I walk in and I hadn't been at a church where everyone put up their hands. And so I thought you were all weird, um, freaked me out. As I sat through a few songs, I realized that it was genuine, it was real. There was such a peace and a love that I, I was immediately going, what is this? And I want to know more about it. And lo and behold, that night was one of the most important moments in my life and, and still to this day, probably the, the biggest encounter I've had with God. Um, I was shy and embarrassed. I'd felt out of place. I didn't felt like I, feel like I belonged um, to soul. I was a new kid. A few of my church were there. We're in this weird white tent you know, we didn't have these very technological coliseums here. Um, so there I am, and we get to the end of the service where there's response time and prayer time. And next minute, someone had a word and a sense that we needed to pray for people that God wants to call them to be shepherds, to be pastors. And I've never felt God in this way, but my heart just began to beat. And I was freaked out. That was not the God I knew. Um, but it felt like I knew it was God and I knew it was a good thing, but I, 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 the last thing I wanted to do was walk to the front of a bunch of people with their hands in the air and that I didn't know, but it literally ended up feeling like I was lifted. I had to get up and I walked down um, and God's so kind. The person that put their hand on me and prayed for me actually was a brother of a, a girl that I went to high school with and there was this, this moment for me where I was studying acting. I dreamt of being an actor and this night, God began to speak into that dream. And that dream had been something I had come up with. And I hadn't asked for his guidance into that dream. And I ended up in tears, heart beating, and just this sense of God's voice calling me on a new path. Loving the acting and the study and the training. And I felt like he was going to use it. But it just felt like he was the first time he'd ever said to me, you're not meant to be an actor, Andrew. I've got other people that can do that, other Christians that will do that. My best friend in college lives in England, and he's still an actor. Acting's great. 
I'm praying that some of you will be actors for the kingdom of heaven, but it wasn't my call. And that night, 10 years ago, I caught that vision. And then what, what it led for me was that Soul Survivor the last 10 years, there's been these encounters with Jesus who've shaped me, these moments. And I wanted to start this, this first talk just by saying, please get a journal or an app or your notes app that you write down the prayers, the encouragements, the words of prophecy, um, the things that you feel and sense and that you learn, anything at all, write it down because I'm so glad I can go back nine or ten years and look at what Jesus was saying, how he was shaping me at Soul Survivor and, and obviously wherever else I have been. But Soul Survivor has been so key for me. In many ways, it's like a training school each year. It's like a week where I get trained, encouraged, built up, and then I, I, I go out and I, I find other things throughout the year to keep being trained. But Soul Survivor is this really key time for me. I've got other key times. But in many ways, it's similar to where Daniel found himself in chapter 1, where he learnt the language of Babylon, this foreign land, uh, and he was trained so that he could then serve Jesus. So that was in 2010. Another couple of quick ones just to get us rolling. Um, then in 2012, Matt and the team cast this vision of going to seven places over seven hours away with seven teams and up to 700 people. And it was the first time I had heard a vision and a youth trip and a camp that really got me excited. It, it spoke to the adventurer in me. And um, it finally lined up with the Jesus and the disciples in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and the gospel where I, I see them on this adventure. And I was like, sign me up. So I went to Bateman's Bay and I was part of Soul in the Bush. Many years later, I'm married and then I, my first job was with Soul Survivor. I ran some, some of these conferences. Um, and, and another key moment for me was at William Clark College in 2014. Um, one of the first times where I was praying for someone and they fell into tears and they fell to their knees. And I saw Jesus shaping their heart. And this was the Jesus and the God I was getting to know the same God that came down from heaven that cares so much for us is still doing that today. And I was seeing this shaping process in someone else as I was praying for them. And I was just, just blown away. The final memory I have was um, a couple years later again um, at More Than a Song at William Clark. And it was a moment where I'd had a rough few months. I was feeling heavy and we were, I was down at the front worshipping with the kids, trying to keep my childlike faith up, trying to keep young. I'm 30 this year. So I was down on, down the floor, moshing with the kids. But then I was feeling this heaviness. And I felt like the Lord was just leading me to take a knee and humble myself. And I remember taking two knees just to bow down before him and, and, and love him, connect to him. And then I felt his hands over my shoulders. And then I felt just this, this, this wave of God coming over me. Peace, a calmness. I felt loved. I felt supported. And again, it was this thing I knew in my head, but then this experience was happening in my heart where I was feeling the presence of God, the love of God. I looked up after it. I'd had tears again. I'm a bit of a crier. Who cries? Who's a crier? Get, yeah. Come on, plenty of cries. Dudes can cry. Girls can cry. Amen. Well, I looked up and there was four youth boys, not my youth boys, guys, most of them I didn't know, just praying for me. And the increase in the love of God did something in my heart and was shaping me. And I share all of this because Soul Survivor, Jesus, 
your life. You are being shaped every day by Jesus. And it goes from moment to moment. Some boring, some exciting, some good, some bad. Jesus is shaping us. And it's, it's from encounter to encounter with Jesus. It can be every second. It can be every minute. It can be every day, every camp, every Friday, whatever. But from, from moment to moment. And I just want to encourage you guys and girls to record this stuff, journal this stuff. You're building a history and a relationship with God as He's shaping you. And you know, I can go back and look at these stories and that goes, that's why I'm still at Soul Survivor because I've got this history with Jesus at Soul Survivor. The same way I've got this history with Jesus at my church and this history of Jesus um, outside where I work in different places and different jobs. And that will strengthen you and encourage you. So today, as we're looking at how to be shaped by Jesus, there's a, there's a key secret that I think Daniel wants to give to us today. And we see it in this ancient, faithful man named Daniel. Yesterday, we, we, were, we were blown away by Daniel in this exiled in this foreign land who knew his identity, trusted God, obeyed and honored God's rules, and he became 10 times better than all the other wise people that the king had chosen. And today, we see the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So if you've got Daniel 2, let's do this. I'm reading from the NLT. If you've got electronic, you can jump to it. The New Living Translation. Thought it would just read a little better. Let's go. So one night, during the second year of his reign, King Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, Gryffindor, <laughs> Slytherin, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood, sorry, I'll occasionally add some of my translation to help us. Is that okay? I'm not adding anything to the Bible, okay? This is just to help us. He's calling all the people that know magic, um, all the pretenders. Um, so they stood before the king. He said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers and all the houses of Harry Potter and Hogwarts answered the king in Aramaic, long live the king, tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble and I will lock you in the basement and I will take away the light bulb. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. As you can see, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebs, was a psychopath. <laughs> He's literally saying, I will kill you all if you don't tell me the dream and what it means. Anyone have bad dreams here? How many people have bad dreams? Okay. Well, ever since we've had our new little Joey, which some of you have met, um, Emma, it's apparently quite normal. I've Googled all about it. Um, the, the, you, as parents, you worry about the newborn baby because you've never had a baby before. And so you wake up, you're like, where's the baby? Anyway, um, they're in the cot sleeping because babies are good at sleeping sometimes. And um, so once a week for the first few months, I, I would wake up around 3 a.m. and Emma would be standing on the bed going, where is she? Where is Joey? And I'd be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. 
And then I'd grab the baby monitor, I'd look, and I'd be like, she's in the cot, she's okay. And she'd have flipped the doona, and she's looking for Joey, and she thinks I've taken Joey to cuddle Joey, because I love Joey. And she has these dreams um, that, that, that all this other stuff was going on. That's like a disturbing dream, yeah? So that's what's going on for King Nebuchadnezzar. So he, he's a little bit startled and worried. Um, now, those dreams have subsided. Me and Emma pray before we go to sleep. We want to be ruled by faith and not fear, and we're going okay. So don't worry about me and Emma. We're, we're, the dreams have subsided, although once a month now, she will wake me, and it's, it is a bit scary. <laughs> but um, from what we can see through the Bible, people have been dreaming forever. It's, it's part of who we are. It's part of how we rest and relax, um, and with dreams, there can be nightmares, um, and it's, it's a whole nother realm, which we don't have a whole lot of time for today. But back then, dreams were known. And in the ancient Near East, kings had this belief that the gods, plural, because there was all sorts of religions, that the gods would speak through dreams. So King Nebs was freaking out over this dream. Verse 7. Let's keep going. They said again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. The king replied, I know what you're doing. You're stalling for time. Because you know I'm serious when I say, if you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed. So you have conspired to tell me lies, hoping I will change my mind, but tell me the dream and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. The astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream. So you get what's going on. He doesn't want to just know what the dream means. He's like, you've got to tell me the dream so that I can trust you and then tell me what it means. So this is like a word of knowledge um, from their powers and then they got to interpret it. No one on earth can tell a king. No king, however great and powerful, has ever... Oh, sorry. No, yep, there we are. Verse 10. They replied to the king, No one on earth can tell the king his dream. No one, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream. And they don't live here among the people. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered, ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. Because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. Good story. So see, the Old Testament's cool. The, the stories can speak. What we have here is Daniel, his mates, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego. They have been one year trained. They're 10 times better than everyone else we learned yesterday, but they're about to be killed with everyone else. So how the heck does Daniel handle this? I want to know. I've been in some tough spots myself. I reckon some of us are in some tricky struggles, moments of suffering. So King Neb, he's a psycho, a nutbag. He's harsh. He's dominating. Jeremiah, the prophet, he calls him the destroyer of nations. If you want to throw up, oh, we might not have it. There was a map yesterday that Emma had. If we don't have it, that's fine. But you'll remember Basically, Babylon had taken over all these other countries. So the king, you'd think he would feel powerful, but King Nebs was insecure. I mean, he he has control over everything, but the reason these dreams are affecting him is because he is nervous that the people from Iran and Iraq and Syria and Egypt, all the land that he's taken, they're the modern-day names of of these different um, regions and areas. He's scared that they're going to come back, dethrone him, kill him, undermine him. So, he's insecure. So let's find out, what does Daniel do? Verse 14, 
Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them. Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. So then Daniel went home, told his friends, their old names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They're now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His three mates. What had happened? Verse 18, he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever. He has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings. He sets up kings. He gives wisdom and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you've given me wisdom and strength. You've told me what we asked and revealed to us what the king demanded. Are we following the story? Are we getting what's happening here? The secret, I think, that we see in Daniel today that that has shaped and changed my life, and and I just want to encourage us today to consider, do we ask the God of heaven in everything we face? Because the power of asking here sets Daniel and his friends on an incredible path on an incredible part of God's plan of pointing people to God all the way until Jesus was to come. God used Daniel. Similar how he'd used Joseph in the past who could interpret dreams. But all of us come from a supernatural bloodline. Our ancestors talk to God, hear from God. They get visions. They can interpret dreams. We serve a supernatural God. We read here that in verse 22... God reveals deep and mysterious things. The problems you face, God has the answers if you would turn to him and you would ask. And not only that, but Daniel knew who he was asking. You can see that he asked, the Lord gave, and then he praised. He praised God. He he knew that God had all the wisdom, reveals mystery, brings light into darkness. He had this supernatural huge view of God. And I believe this morning we're being reminded how big is your God? How large? How supernatural? How mysterious? Because we can't fully fathom and understand the mysteries of God. But we can slowly, through encounters with God, be shaped by God and shaped by Jesus. You see, God's outside of time. He's the creator. He's the beginning and the end. So he's the one that we can turn to. And what I love in verse 18, we read, they asked and then God showed mercy. He showed mercy. He gave unmerited favor. He gave the love, the wisdom. He poured it down. It cost them nothing. And he just just gave it out of his mercy and his love because that's who God is. You know, I'm a youth pastor. I work a lot with young people. And often from what I hear from the young people like yourselves and what I see with this age where we have smartphones and the internet, um, we don't need a lot of help. 
you can basically enter anything into YouTube and learn how to do it. And so most people think that we don't need help from each other, that we can do it all on on our own. Did you know the iPhone or a smartphone has more power in it than the entire power used for World War I? That's ridiculous. That's the amount of power and, and, and technology and, and that is held in that smartphone. Those things can be used incredibly for God or they can't be. We're going to hear more about that, I think, uh, in a couple of nights from a special guest. Um, but what I wanted to get at was it's not normal for, for, it's not the general Australian thing for young people to go, I'll just ask someone else. I'll ask a person because you can just jump on Google. So you can see, we are all used to, and I use Google all the time. I'm part of it as well. So my natural is to not ask God. It's to ask Google. It's to ask the internet. But when six, seven hundred years later, when Jesus comes, what did he teach his best friends? What did he teach us? In Matthew 7, he said, ask. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find Knock, and the door will be opened to you. You see, Jesus didn't just say, ask, and it will be given to you. It's not just a one-off thing. It's a journey and a relationship. I don't meet Emma eight years ago and say, do you want to marry me? I build a relationship, and it deepens, and it grows. And so what we see in Jesus' teaching is that there's this journey and this process of asking, then seeking, and then knocking, and sometimes they'll be, they'll be waiting. Sometimes there'll be answers. But we know that God is there and that we, we want to draw close to him and, and hear from him. And so the secret I think Daniel's teaching us is to ask. Ask and praise. So let's find out how he then takes this information that God's given him. From verse 27, we're going to read. But basically, Daniel gets the vision, gets the understanding, goes back to Arioch, says, don't kill anyone. I know what the dream means. He politely says to the king, can I come and tell you? The king goes, yep. And then Daniel drops it like it's hot. And so verse 27, the the king's speaking. No, Daniel's speaking. There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, Hufflepuff, Gryffindor, Slytherin, Ravenclaw, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven. He reveals secrets. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. While you were sleeping, Majesty, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what's going to happen. And it's not because I'm wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. God is trying to speak to the heart of an evil king. And he's chosen to use God's people because he chooses to use us to speak into the heart of all people. And so the understanding in in the Hebrew understanding in the past was that the heart was the, the main organ. It's the thing that beats. They didn't know a lot about the brain. So the heart was the thoughts, the mind and the emotions. And so God was trying to get through to this king to stop killing people and oppressing people and hurting them. And he was trying to help him get to know God and worship him. And through Daniel, this is what happens. Verse 31 to 44, 5. 
I'm going to kind of speed through it, and it's just going to be this crazy. It's a little bit like Ezekiel chapter 1. It gets a bit crazy. Um, it kind of looks like this, actually, the picture that Daniel gets. Um, I've got a, a photo here of the dream that was shown to Daniel, and it will help give us a visual as we then explain it. Um, Sam's just going to pull it up. So we're going to read from... No, no, no. So he, he already wins and destroys the world. That's what happens in Endgame. Um, yeah, yeah, Thanos wins. Sorry. Now, I'm joking. I'm seeing it Sunday. I don't know what's going to happen. No Thanos. Jokes. I don't know a thing. I don't know anything. <laughs> this is the dream. This is the dream. Sorry. Okay, so a few technical difficulties there. Tough. All right. Verse 31, Daniel says, in your vision, majesty, you saw before you a huge shining statue of a man, and it was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was gold, its chest and arms were silver, its belly and thighs bronze, its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from the mountain, not by humans' hands. It struck the feet, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. Basically, that's a visual of the dream that the king was seeing. And he was scared that that rock was going to destroy everything he'd done. And it was haunting him in his dreams. If you've seen, if you're an Avengers fan like me, if you've seen Age of Ultron, it's basically scary like that. Basically. Then Daniel goes on, verse 36, that was the dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you're the greatest of kings. The God of heaven, he's given you sovereignty, power, strength, honor. He has made you ruler over all the inhabited world, even the animals, the birds. You are the head of gold. The king's like, yeah, <laughs> that's me. But then he explains there's three other kingdoms to come. They're going to take over his kingdom. And then finally, not made by human hands, but made supernaturally was a, a rock. And the rock comes down and it destroys all the history of the four kingdoms and starts a new kingdom. Verse 44, during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain. Though not by human hands, it crushed to pieces the statues of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true and its meaning is certain. Whew. So basically, the rock can point to Jesus. It can point to heaven. It can point to a supernatural world that is coming and that Jesus brought in. And that no matter what King Nebuchadnezzar does, there's going to be other kingdoms that come. And then ultimately a rock will come, Jesus will come, and he will bring the kingdom of heaven. He will bring a whole new way of life. He will bring mercy, forgiveness, love, and that's the Jesus we come to worship and encounter and explore and grow with this week. And Daniel, in the face of death, shares this with the king. And you'd think the king who wanted to kill him isn't gonna like this, is gonna say, stuff your God, let's kill you, Daniel. No. It's a moment where the king of an entire empire humbles himself before Daniel because Daniel trusted the word of God. He trusted Jesus speaking to him. 
And Nebuchadnezzar, we read in verse 46, bows down and worships Daniel and his God. He commands people to burn sacrifices, offer incense. And then the king says, truly, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal the secret. And the king then appoints Daniel to be over the whole province of Babylon. Many nations, the entire evil empire of Babylon is now in the hands of a man of God. And his three friends are also given power. All because they asked the God of heaven for help. See how incredible that is? Do we ask the God of heaven for help? Before I came to Soul Survivor, throughout high school, I wasn't brave or bold in following Jesus, and I rarely ever asked him for help. I tried to do it all on my own. I very much did the whole Friday and Sunday thing, and and then I'd feel guilty and and shame about that, and and it was just this never-ending cycle through high school for me. Then there were Christians at school, and I thought they just met once a week in a room, and they judged me, so I judged them, and I didn't like the Christians at school. And I look back and I wasted my high school years. And one of the things God's put on my heart is imagine if high schoolers began to serve Jesus. Imagine what that would look like if they asked God for help. To the point where in year 12 on my last day of school, I'm walking through the school gate after a couple hundred of us have um, come to school on the train. And the Judy's master goes, Mr. Bollum, come here. The principal will see you at 12 o'clock. Don't be late. So on my last day of school, I am scared the entire day that I'm not going to be able to sit the HSC. I've done something wrong. Basically, I'd been part of a few different things. I didn't head them up, but if you're in the crowd, you're part of it. I was a prefect, and I'd undermined who I was, and I ended up in the principal's office. I wasn't revealing who God was. I wasn't showing other people Jesus, and I wasted my high school years. I wonder though, I was fairly popular, I did drama, I did sport, athletics, swimming, rugby, I I wonder what would have happened if I'd asked the God of heaven for help to see his kingdom come. There was one moment where I I felt like God was finally, I was was listening and, and I joined the SRC and I ran a fundraiser and I raised money and everyone's like, why are you on the SRC? And I, and I had this clarity, and I said, I want to raise money for this charity. They fly planes. They go and help remote parts of Australia. And I was pointing everyone to God. And then the next term, I kind of got over it, and I left the SRC. Not a great student representative. And I, I, I wasted those years because I didn't know that I had help. I didn't know that I could have help. And so where I want to lead this today We see that Daniel was a man who asked for help. Hundreds of years later, God's people continued through the faithfulness of Daniel and eventually they waited and Jesus came. The little rock came. And Jesus was sent from heaven to help us. But before Jesus died, he had a plan to help us all. And he sends us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is Jesus and Jesus is the Father And this is what changed my heart and changed my life. And what I'm excited to unpack more later on in the week on how can we ask and walk with the Holy Spirit as our helper. 
I've got a verse here that changed my life in John 14. Just before Jesus died, he's speaking to his friends. And their hearts are troubled, but Jesus looks at them and he says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let your heart, let not, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This is the favorite moment for me where Jesus with his friends, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to die. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to pour out my mercy, my love, my forgiveness. I'm going to defeat death. I'm going to take all of your sin, all of your high school mistakes, all your rejection, all the things that you've ever carried, and I'm going to take it on the cross so that you never have to carry it again. But don't worry. I'm going to die. I'm going to go up to the Father in heaven, but I will leave you a helper. I will leave you the Holy Spirit. Peace be with you. And this promise from Jesus is that the Holy Spirit is with you wherever you go. He's in you and he wants to work through you. And it changed my life. And not all the time, not every session, but as I come to Soul Survivor every year, I write down the things the Holy Spirit's teaching me. I go and get prayer. I ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Because throughout the whole Bible, the presence of God, the Spirit of God, it's seen as fire, it's seen as wind, it's seen as water, because it can consume and fill and overflow. It's just not a one-off thing. And so I imagine what would happen if you knew you had the Holy Spirit, the helper with you, if you believe that every day and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you. How close are you? Do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you know Him? Because I've spent 10 years getting to know Him. And I've wanted to see the same things in the Bible on earth. And I've been amazed. In Acts 5, people were healed by Peter's shadow. Last year, I saw that very miracle happen in in North Queensland. I've been amazed by what God can do by people that ask for God's help and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I've got two passages for you to write down, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. Jokes 3, bonus. (laughs) Read them in your own time this week and learn about the Holy Spirit and the gifts that He can give, that He can use in you and in your schools. And you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed. Yesterday, leave the scriptures up, but Emma talked about this whirlpool. You want to know how to walk and swim against the current? You need to ask for help. You need the Holy Spirit and you need Him every day, every morning, every night. And He will help you overcome anything you're facing. Loneliness, friendships, conflicts, broken families, sickness, suffering. The Holy Spirit has exactly what you need from heaven for every moment. Sometimes it will be difficult, but Jesus has given himself, his spirit in us to be with us wherever we go. Amen. Daniel was a man who asked. Jesus taught us to ask. Today, you can ask for help as you go to projects very shortly.